When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you doing on this fine Sunday, almost afternoon, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, watched some NFL football last night, a lot of NBA basketball last night. I'm feeling beardless, but I still have my beard on my face, so it's a little weird. <laughs> How are you feeling? I think we're going to talk about that beardless thing. Um, I, <laughs> it is snowing, and it's been snowing the entire weekend here in Kentucky, so it's like beautiful outside because it looks like winter, and it's not like it's sticking to the roads or anything, so it's perfect, not dangerous at all, but um, we, we have a three-day weekend, and you know teachers love three-day weekends, I have no plans for tomorrow, which is amazing, I love having no plans for tomorrow, <laughs> uh, we got big plans for this podcast though, let's go ahead and jump into our gold stars and attentions, and Mr. Ainsworth, 2021 has gotten off to a rough star, so I have made the executive decision, <laughs> I am not doing any detentions i'm doing only gold stars because i am positive in 2021 <laughs> um now i know that we talked before the podcast and mr angel is a little less positive about 2021 but let me rapid fire <laughs> let me rapid fire through my gold stars the first gold star goes to max holloway my mma friends if you watched the ufc yesterday the ufc was on just basic television it was on abc and you had a, a main event well, you got to see Max Holloway, former featherweight champion, one of the greatest 145ers of all time. And he just, he still, he still has it. He just decimates uh, Kelvin Cater. 
beats him from pillar to post for three rounds. The fact that Caden was able to survive this fight is incredible to me because literally he's just getting punched in the face the whole time. Max Holloway shows you why he is the former champ. He shows you that he still has championship DNA. Now, he's already lost twice to the current champion, so I don't know if he's going to get another shot. But I hope he goes down to 135, goes up to 155, because he still has championship DNA in him. Another gold star to Vanessa Bryant, who put out a request to media. We are coming up on the death of Kobe Bryant, the anniversary, the one-year anniversary. And what Vanessa Bryant has asked of the media is, you got plenty of great video of Kobe and Gigi. Them smiling, them being happy, Kobe just destroying people in basketball games. You got plenty of great imagery to share during this anniversary. Please don't share imagery of the helicopter crashing or the fire burning. And like, can we leave that stuff? Because it's still hard for lots of people, obviously including Kobe's family. And I just hope that the media takes that to heart and they do the thing that she asks. So gold right. star to Vanessa Bryant for making that request. My final gold star... Goes to former New York Jet Frank Gore, although he could be a, I mean, he could play for the Jets again next year, I suppose. But most amazing stat ever, Mr. Ainsworth, Frank Gore has played 16 years in the NFL, which is amazing. Yeah. But that in and of itself isn't the most amazing stat. He's played 16 <laughs> years. Frank Gore has rushed for exactly 16,000 yards. He's averaged exactly 1,000 yards per season. Retire, quit, walk away. You're never. It's never going to be that perfect unless he runs for exactly a thousand exactly. yards next year, which won't happen. Year seventeen, you ain't rushing for a thousand yards. But I love Frank Gore. <laughs> I love the way that he's played. Listen, I wanted the Jets to lose every game. I wanted them to tank. It's dudes like Frank Gore and their heart that didn't allow the Jets to lose every game because he played. He doesn't know any other speed except to play hard. So shout out to Frank Gore. That's incredible. So those are my gold stars, Mr. Ainsworth. Positive 2020, right, Mr. Ainsworth? Positive, positive, <laughs> positive. Um, I only have one gold star and then a handful of detentions. My gold star is going to go to James Harden. We alluded to. We'll talk more about the trade this week uh, in a moment or when we get to our thesis about it. But Truthfully, I think my biggest thing is, and not to just rip off Dwayne Wade's tweet about it, he finally looked happy again. He hadn't really looked happy playing. Frankly, you could argue since he got to the bubble. There are only a few clips where he like looked happy in the Orlando bubble. You could point out different times this season where he looked disinterested and like as much fun as it was to have him in Houston for eight years and as much fun as it was to root for a guy that's that great at basketball. I mean, again... He had a league's only ever 60-point triple-double. He goes for 53-17-16 against the Knicks on New Year's Eve. He has, you know, 35 points a game one year. He has the streak of 30 points. Like, all that was a ton of fun to root for. But at the end of the day, it's way more fun to root for a guy that's a happy basketball player. And he looked happy last night. He had, we're recording on a Sunday, and last night he had 32 points, 14 assists, and 12 rebounds in his first game with the Brooklyn Nets worth pointing out he had not really had a full practice with the Brooklyn Nets I think those I think that's a, a good indicator for things to come for him um, and then on Instagram he points out like they're only going to get better as they pull in Kyrie so he's clearly like excited about guy playing with the guys there and so it's just good to see a guy happy about his job I mean it is a job and he's happy going to work every day no absolutely we love happiness in 2021 only happiness only happiness <laughs> okay now Mr. Ainsworth Go ahead and destroy 2021 for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think my bigger thing on having so many attentions in 2021 is like, 
I, I spent 2020 trying to be nice, maybe. And then my, <laughs> my real thing is like, I'm tired of putting up with some of this junk. So as I look at my detention list, my first one goes to Doug Gottlieb for his take on Jalen Hurts this week. Uh, he said that, I guess it was really at the beginning of the week, so you might argue it was, should have been last week's detention, but he said that Jalen Hurts should be cut for his sideline antics when he got pulled from the game. And I was like, listen, man, <laughs> like, that's a <laughs> detention for that, that take. That's an awful take. You want a guy that's competitive and wants to play and wants to win. If he was totally cool being pulled out of the game, he could not be an NFL starting quarterback. That's an awful awful take he wasn't like breaking things or anything crazy listen uh, philly cut doug peterson so they made their cut yeah <laughs> they know what they did um my next attention goes to jackie mcmullen for this week on the Rosillo podcast they were you know Rosillo and jackie and ben, uh, bill simmons are all talking in the podcast big time boston celtics people and very much diehard homers each of them got their start writing about the celtics in some form or fashion uh, obviously, Simmons and Jackie are also from the area. That's not to say that they shouldn't be homers or whatever. What I am going to say is Jackie McMullen had this back and forth where she recounted some conversation she had with Kyrie, and she talked about how you know he said that you know there shouldn't be a draft and the players shouldn't be treated like property and this, then the other. And she, her quote was, "But you are property. We we pay you this." And like, whoa, 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 Jackie. Like, we got to back, 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 back up. We are not going to talk about young men, especially not young black men in America, being treated as property because they get paid a lot of money. Like That's not an okay thing to say at all, much less about like a guy that you can sit here today and be very upset with and have all these hot takes on someone else's podcast about Jackie, but we can go back and find the tweets and find the articles and find the things about how excited all three people there were about Kyrie coming to Boston. So I don't need to hear all this junk about how bad a guy he is now when just a couple years ago, he was someone you were excited to have on your franchise and roster just because he want to take a week off work my last detention goes to chris collinsworth from last night's football game and he didn't say anything too terribly harmful it was just horribly wrong in that saying that lamar jackson is a good pocket passing quarterback no 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 he didn't say that he said that he was a good one at louisville but this is this is my bigger problem with it is there is more than one way to be a successful quarterback, just like there's more than one way to be a successful offensive lineman, just like there's more than one way to be a successful defensive back, just like there's more than one way to be a successful running back, just like there's more than one way to be successful any position in sports. There's nuance <laughs> to all of this. So to act like just because he was successful at Louisville, that he must have been a good pocket pass. No, he was just successful. There's different ways to be successful. That's not the only way he has to be successful. And so detention for that general thought process about like, well, if he was successful, <laughs> then the only way that could happen is by being a pocket passer because that's also not fair because you would never say that the only way to be a successful receiver is to be the 6'4", 210-pound outside threat. Like, Every single slot is going to dis disagree with you, right? Like, there's, there's <laughs> lots of different ways to go about that. And so, detention, Chris Collinsworth, on that. I'm not the only one with the detention, though. You might not be handing your third person, but I know you've got some problems with 2021 as well. Listen, I just have problems with 2021 in general. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, my detention goes to the whole situation with Karis LeVert. We'll talk more in detail about the James Harden trade. Karis LeVert goes through a physical that's a part of his trade with the Indiana Pacers. Indiana finds that he has a mass on his kidney. And it's like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on there. Karis LeVert had some injury issues in Brooklyn, but showed flashes. 
And this is not some guy who was the first pick in the draft and everything's been handed to him. He's had to fight in the NBA. And now people are starting to recognize his ability. He's starting to showcase his talent. And he's going to get an opportunity in Indiana to be the dude. Now, he's going to play with Sabonis. So we know that Sabonis is a dude already. But he's going to get his opportunity finally to really showcase. And this happens to him. This sucks, man. It just sucks. Now, incidentally, as a Rockets fan, I know that that detention hits you totally different because that deal, ooh, let's let's just hope that the deal goes through the way that it's supposed to. That being said, we have an awesome podcast for you guys. We're going to talk about the James Harden trade. Like, how could we do this podcast with Parker on it and not talk about it? So we'll definitely dive into that. <laughs> We're also going to dive into the NFL and the potential problematic situation that's arising with Eric B. Enemy not being hired for one of these head coaching openings in the NFL. And then we will wrap with a conversation about how much all of American professional athletics needs Nickelodeon. Without further <laughs> ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, the biggest sports story of the week by far is the movement of James Harden from the Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. The thesis statement for this week reads, the James Harden deal makes the Brooklyn Nets the favorite to win the NBA title this season. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How do you grade that thesis statement? I'm sitting at an A-. minus. I wanted to say A, but I'm going to sit at an A- minus for now. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? I think I'm going to go C, which, hmm. yeah, I'm still on the Lakers, so... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we had different perspectives on the trade and what it does for the Brooklyn Nets. I actually think we're probably going to be similar in some aspects. But that being said, the, the thesis statement, the James Harden deal makes the Brooklyn Nets the favorite to win the NBA title this season. You were A-. minus. Talk to me about that. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, we talked about the Lakers being at the favorite, or like the clear-cut favorite a few weeks back, and as the roster stood, we were both very much like, yeah, duh, they should be the free, right? Um, <laughs> I think it's also worth noting that in a matter of days since the James Harden trade went through, the Brooklyn Nets have jumped up. They were always in second, but they've jumped up to where now, as I'm looking on Odd Shark, the Lakers are at plus 225 and the Nets are at plus 275. That's not exactly the same, but that is close. And so <laughs> that, I, I, that is pretty much a pick em. I mean, that's almost exactly the same. When the third place team is the Clippers at plus 600 and the Bucks are at fourth at plus 750 and then the Celtics are in fifth at plus 1800, like it gets really steep really <laughs> fast, right? And so I think it's very clear that betters clearly think it's going to be Nets Lakers. And you've said this about New York teams and getting into the dance before in different sports, all of you, but if you can make to the finals, you got a good chance anyone, right? Um, that, that you just never know what's going to happen once you get there. Um, and so I, I look at this team and I say, you know, they've got two MVPs in their early 30s, albeit, you know, Kevin Durant coming off a pretty significant injury, clearly, but he looks to be playing fairly well on offense, and while he's not the exact same guy defensively, I, I would argue he's doing fine. You've got, whenever Kyrie comes back, you've got a guy that has played, <laughs> you do have a guy that's played a lot of second fiddle in his career, though, and while he is third fiddle in, like, the starting lineup and probable closing lineup, what I think is interesting about the current Brooklyn Nets team is D'Antoni is on the staff with Steve Nash. The way D'Antoni ran when he had Chris Paul and James Harden and they were successful in Houston was there was never a moment where there was some combination of Capella, Gordon, 
Chris Paul, and James Harden. You had at least two, if not three, and at key moments, all four of those players on the floor at once. And so the way that rotationally will work is that at some point, your defense will always, at all 48 minutes, you'll have to guard at least two of Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. There will never be a break from having to guard Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. And I think that's really important to look at, like, defensively, are you going to then play your best defenders for 48 minutes? Are those best defenders also your best chance to score on offense? And if you're not going to play your best defenders, what's going to happen for that five-minute stretch that you don't, right? Like, those kinds of things <laughs> come into play a lot. Um, it's just funny to me because you're like, it will never happen where at least two of those three are not on the floor at the same time. But it's happening right now. Like, that's the, <laughs> that's have, the deal, right? Kyrie like, is, ugh. Anyway, I'll, I'll save my time. I'll save, I'll I, reserve I my I, time. <laughs> I thought my preface of when Kyrie's back was clear. But if not, obviously. To happen, Uh, and so I also think it's worth pointing out, like a guy like Joe Harris stretches the floor in a really interesting way. You know, he you have to cover him in the short corner, in the you know short corner three point. You can't you can't like sag off of that too much, or it's for three. He hit one from deep, deep last night at the top of the key as he was trailing the play. I mean, he he's a weapon. I like Jeff Green as a small ball five because of what he did with James and D'Antoni in Houston last year. Um, you know, if you look at the, even in the Lakers series, the big key was in the first game, he played a lot and he was plus 15 and had, you know, 13 points. He was a very, very key player. And then in the losses, he has zero, he has seven, he has nine. Like shutting him down as a small ball five was key for what the Lakers were doing. And schematically, that's really like they were doubling James at half and shutting down the three on four on the other side of that was very important too, right? Um, But when they're doing well, Jeff Green was doing well, uh, evidenced also in the Oklahoma City series, the series before that. The idea of having DeAndre Jordan in the dunker spot while DeAndre is not the same guy he was in Lob City, that's obviously a very similar to Capella type role as far as catching lobs, easy putbacks, those kinds of things. And then I just I look at this roster and think that those guys are good and people really have a fun time talking about defensively with this roster but, <laughs> you know because they they point out that like James Harden is not a great off-ball defender and Kevin Durant is not the same guy he was two years ago I look at it and I say like you know they're going to switch lit- especially when Jeff Green's on the floor they're just going to switch everything which is when you have the personnel to do it one of the better defensive schemes in the NBA because Eventually, they're going to switch and try and find a mismatch. But as bad a off-ball defender as Kyrie and James Harden are, they're not bad on-ball. And so it's interesting to see that how that'll play out. And then at the end of the day, you can't win games without scoring points. And they're going to score They'll a lot score of a ton. points. They'll score a ton. <laughs> and so I, that's my well-rounded way to say a lot of different angles to look at the Nets specifically in this trade as becoming you know at least favorites in the East, if not favorites overall. I gave it an A- because I think they can win the East very handily this year. They still have to beat the Lakers when they get there. I'd like to see the matchups and how that plays out in a regular season type game before I make too many judgment calls there. So I went A-, not A+. I take it that's why you came down to a C? Well, yes. And there's always the caveat with all of these discussions, right, that we're assuming everyone who we're talking about is going to play. Now, normally, (laughs) this is about injury. The reason, one of the reasons why this is a C for me is that I have no guarantees that things are going to work out in Brooklyn with those personalities because it hasn't so far, right? Now, we hope that with the Kyrie Irving situation that it's not some sort of personal trauma psychologically that he's got to deal with. And, like, I don't want that for anyone. And I have no idea what's going on with Kyrie. 
I have no idea how he's going to react when he comes back. He's a wild card. And he's the type of wild card that he's supposed to be a part of the most talented big three since Golden State had their squad, right? How can we trust Kyrie Irving? How do we know that something won't happen in the playoffs that causes him to say, I got to bounce? Like, that's a huge deal. The fact that he's gone from being maybe the best second fiddle in the NBA when he was playing with LeBron James to just not being a guy who you can rely on. Boston could never rely on Kyrie Irving. Brooklyn, there's no evidence to say you can rely on Kyrie. And so it's just, it's tough to say with all this talent, it matters whether or not Kyrie is there. Now, the, the, the deal with Brooklyn is that they have become so talented that there's abundant possibility that they don't need Kyrie and they can still compete for a title. And I say that and people are like, oh, maybe you're crazy. Am I? If I would have said to you before the season started that Brooklyn had James Harden, Kevin Durant, and then they had the, the collection of guys to come into the game to provide depth, I think that people would have said, oh, that's a team that definitely has every chance of winning the East. That's a team that could get into the finals and maybe give the Lakers some trouble with their ability to score, especially knowing that you have Steve Nash and uh, Mike D'Antoni on that coaching staff with their offensive ingenuity. So as talented as Brooklyn is, they still are going to be a problem for everyone in the East and the Lakers, even without Kyrie. What Kyrie does is he pushes it to a level that makes you think, oh, that's a team that can definitely knock off the Lakers, right? And so you you mentioned all the A reasons, and I am 100% with you on all of them. Kyrie is just such a wild card. Um, I will say that one of the reasons that you mentioned I, I want to push back on a little bit, because you talked about what they could do defensively, and I do believe that the, the best defense is to switch everything. We 100% we agree there. I think that the Nets don't have the same type of capacity to switch everything as the Lakers do. Now, what the Lakers have are just better individual defenders. At some point, if you're switching everything and you could get James Harden on LeBron James, that's a win. Now, if that is in reverse, I don't think that Brooklyn just is like, oh, that's definitely a win, right? Now, what happens there is that Brooklyn is so talented now, you can't just double the way that they were doing in Houston when the Lakers played against the Rockets last year. Like, you can't just double and put two guys who are basically eyeballing Harden because the team's too talented, right? But if you could get Harden or you could get Kyrie in some of these matchups, and listen, LeBron James is an outlier. You get LeBron or anybody, you might not feel good unless it's right. uh, unless it's Kawhi, right? That being said, I'm not so sure that I don't feel good about Schroeder <laughs> on Harden. Harden's got height and strength, but Schroeder has enough speed to get by him. And I'm not sure I don't feel so... I feel great about Schroeder on Irving and making Kyrie have to play defense in that situation, right? As much as Harris gives you in terms of his shooting, I don't think that you want him kind of in any sort of situation where he's mouse in the house and he has Montrezl Harrell on him. You know what I mean? And so you get into some of these switching situations and it may not work out as well for Brooklyn as I think that you made it seem that it would work. And the, the biggest piece is we got to see Kevin Durant go through this full season because if he's the level of help defender that he was in Golden State, which, friends, go back. He was elite as a help defender. 
He was one of the best. Like he blocked shots. I mean, he's his, seven feet tall. He comes off. He, he's incredibly his versati- athletic. His versatility and length allowed them to play five guards on offense, but he was the center for all intents and purposes of the defense. And they, it really did catapult that team to a different stratosphere than Iggy and Draymond in their death line have had. It Absolutely. Was it was very different. And if he can do that, then maybe that makes up for some of the pieces on the perimeters you're one-on-one with guys. But I just I have questions, obviously, coming off in Achilles if he's just going to be that dude, right? So... I, I just need to see it for a whole season. And if it works out in Brooklyn, <laughs> where everyone's on the same page psychologically, everyone's where they need to be, guys are playing, Brooklyn looks great. I just think there's significant questions. Um, I will say that one thing that we probably need to pay some attention to as well is the dynamic between Nash and D'Antoni. As you get all the... like D'Antoni has a definitive perspective on how guys should play. What if Nash obviously starts disagreeing? Nash is the head guy. Maybe Nash doesn't believe you need to have two of the three on the floor for the entirety of the game. I don't know, right? Um, So anyway, there's some of those pieces that maybe pull it into that F range for me to say the Lakers still look incredible. The Lakers can still match up, but it is big three versus big two. And normally you'll take big three over big two. Um, I just want to see how this season plays out before I go anointing Brooklyn they're not the favorite to me the Lakers are still the favorite because the Lakers won and someone's got to beat them and it's interesting because so I had you know Lakers still very good and so I pulled it down to an A minus it pulled you down to a C but it doesn't sound like if everyone is playing and healthy and good to go that you have a whole lot of Eastern Conference teams you know knocking them off the top it would be very difficult for a Miami team to knock off this team although I will say that Miami in my opinion is a team that might be best equipped to do it Miami and Milwaukee play enough defense that it feels like maybe they're equipped to do this, that if someone's going to knock Brooklyn out. That being said, um, it just feels almost next to impossible for any of those teams to stop those three guys. So as I look at the East, it's interesting because it comes down to matchups. And I'm like you. I think what's interesting is Bam's defensive versatility and his size makes them a good team matchup-wise to play with Milwaukee or Brooklyn now. I almost said New Jersey with Brooklyn now, right? Um, <laughs> got it. That's showing my own age. I don't even feel that old, but it's showing my age. Um, I feel like that matchup for them, and you have Jimmy, obviously, you know, they, they roll out their they, very good defensive scheme, Spoh's really smart, so on, right? I think the wrench in this is somewhere along the way, those teams are going to have to play Boston first. And while I don't think Boston matches up as well with Brooklyn, I think Boston matches up very differently with Miami with Milwaukee because they have the perimeter talent. It's a very different scheme all of a sudden. We have Jalen Brown and we have Jason Tatum. We have Kemba Walker's healthy today, it looks like. So it, it's interesting to me to see like <laughs> but what I'm getting at though is I guess that that's a very perimeter talented team that will attack you very differently than Brooklyn will. And so while I think Miami matches up well and I think that Milwaukee can match up well, I just, you know, Boston and even Philadelphia to an extent offer different challenges that Brooklyn's only had to play three teams in the East. It's which teams do they get, right? And so in the first round, they probably get someone like an Orlando who they played last night and did, you know, handled fairly easily. Or they'll, they'll get someone like, you know, an Atlanta who's young and Trey Young is fun and he may have 51 playoff thing, but like it's his first year of the playoffs. Like how, how realistic is that going to be, right? And so they get an easy one in the first round. And so then all of a sudden those, they really want to play two of these tougher teams and which two they get will be key. I, I just still think that it's like you're saying three beats two most of the time. 
No, absolutely. Now, what I will say is that if you squint your eyes right, maybe Boston has a three, right? Because you could say Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, their three just doesn't seem as dynamic as the Brooklyn three. And that's really where it's tough. And the other thing about Boston's three is, so Kim has been around a little bit longer, but because they've been on the national scene and important for the entire landscape of the NBA, it's easy to think of them as older guys, but like Tatum and Brown have a lot of basketball left to play. Like, no, absolutely. If they don't win it all in the next two years, they are not failures. They got plenty of time <laughs> left. No, like, they were one and done in college, so they came into the league 19, yeah. 20 years old and then really Lots excelled right away. I mean, oh my gosh, Jason Tatum. <laughs> Jason yeah. Tatum was incredible right away, right? I mean, he had everyone questioning what Philly was doing in terms of drafting Markel Fultz. Boston. You know, I want part of me is that I want to give Boston credit because I've believed in Boston a ton. And Boston has disappointed me the last two seasons. And one of those was with Kyrie. So I, whatever there. But last year was a disappointment to me. I felt like they were a team that in a bubble scenario should have come out and looked a lot better, especially with Kemba. Kemba gets hurt. And now all of a sudden, can we rely on that? Um, incidentally, none of us talked about Philly, which is weird because Philly still doing incredibly well they got doc um they have as good a big two as any big two in the league the problem is is that we've never really seen that big two get past the second round and you you say it all the time a few bounces and all of a sudden maybe <laughs> a couple of years ago looks very different for philly but the ball bounced the way it did right as i said to someone on twitter yesterday this ain't horseshoes man you can't come close you got you gotta you gotta make sure the quiet doesn't make that shot so it's it i wonder how philly kind of galvanizes as they look at what Brooklyn has done. And maybe this is something that brings them together. Doc can kind of do us versus the world. Oh, man, see, no one, still no one believes on us. They, they got hard, and now right. it's just all about Brooklyn. That'll be curious as well. Before we kind of break away from this and go to a new thesis statement, I do want to get your perspective on the rest of this trade. Because I am curious as to how especially you feel about what the Rockets got back for James Harden. Because it is a haul. But I'm wondering if you think it's enough of a haul. Well, and so it's interesting because I think it's twofold. First, we can look at, like, obviously, like, as it is currently, it's as we're recording this, it's January 17th. And so, like, where is it as we sit here right now, right? And then I also think there's this aspect that, like, it feels like it's not done yet. And, and I'll get to that, I guess, more in a second. But the first part of this is that Houston got three guys in expiring contracts, most notable of which is Victor Oladipo, and like a bajillion draft picks. And by a bajillion draft picks, I mean <laughs> they literally have control of Brooklyn's pick between either straight up getting the first round pick or a pick swap from now until 2027. And for reference, a one and done in 2027, like a one and done type of player is currently in the seventh grade. Like that, <laughs> that could very well be one of Mr. Cummings or my students. So if you're listening to this, get your game ready and you're a Houston Rocket. I got but a couple getting, of guys who think it's them. So, <laughs> <laughs> But what I'm getting at here is like that's so long term that by the time that like 2027 draft pick has developed, we're looking at 10 years from now, right? We're looking at like 10 years and like and from 10 years from now, we will look back and say, who won this trade? Is it... Houston using that draft pick to draft LeBron James Jr. Houston using that draft pick to draft, say they get a ping pong ball right and get Kate Cunningham, right? Like, say, <laughs> say, how does that work out? Or is it that Brooklyn won two titles and Houston drafted a bunch of guys that didn't pan out, like Hashim to beat and those kind of like? How does that go? Plays out entirely in this to me. It does make me excited for like we've got this new GM who has been around pro basketball a long time in Raphael Stone, but 
it's his first like draft capital haul, and he pulled in what is literally like Wojnarowski Wojnar- report on it, the most historic level of draft pick. It's like eight, the you know eight overall draft picks coming into Houston is the most to ever happen in one deal, and so that's fun and exciting. It also means that like. Unfortunately, that probably means the majority of John Wall's time in Houston will be spent in a rebuild. And Christian Wood, like we're going to be, he's young, so we'll be surrounding him with other young players, and that seems to be kind of the future. So, if you're Houston, are you looking to move Oladipo on expiring before the trade deadline? Are you looking to move PJ Tucker because he's 36 and wants an extension before the trade deadline? I love to swap for one of the young guys in the Lakers bench, like the THT kid, we'll swap PJ Tucker right now. Like, take it. Like, like, go for it, right? Um, Eric Gordon's not a young cat. That doesn't really fit with the team anymore. So does he get moved out before the deadline? I feel like those kinds of last remnant pieces of the 18, 19 good Houston teams are on their way out too. Uh, As I look at what Indiana got back, obviously, you know, you mentioned in your detentions, we're all praying for Karis Devert's health. And if that pans out, I think they're good. I think that brings them back, you know, Depot's age versus Karis Devert's age. And a guy He's who in- you have locked up too, right? That was the thing. Oh, Depot's contract yeah. is Karis Devert might, uh, they, he just got his extension. Am I wrong on that? Did he just get an extension from Brooklyn? Uh, in the offseason. And so what you've got now, and it's not a long one, but he's got a couple years on it. So what you got now is he's 25, 26, I forget. And you've also got uh, Miles Turner is 24, Sabonis is 24. And that's all in the same age range, right? That team can grow together. Uh, and so then you've got that there. And then the Cleveland's the one I also think is not done. So you've, they pulled in another big and Jared Allen, who I love, 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 love. Not just because he went to yeah, my Yeah, but you can't play five centers, right? Like- <laughs> you can't play five centers. So Andre Drummond is expiring. Kevin Love is obviously at a different age bracket than the rest of the team. Uh, you know, Larry Nance Jr. is kind of in between Kevin Love and the rest of the team. So where do you move them? How does those things go? I imagine you probably try and move Drummond as fast as possible because not only is he clearly still a monster on the glass, but he's expiring. So if you don't move him by the trade deadline, you can lose him for nothing. Meanwhile, if you consider Allen the center of the future for them, their core of Allen, Sexton, Garland, the kid they just drafted, like that team is all of a sudden all 22 and under and all potentially very good. And so that could be fun if you get the right pieces back for, you know, moving out your older guys. And so I guess that is to say that like, I feel excited about Houston, but all of these teams that are not Brooklyn are looking for like two and three years down the line, whereas Brooklyn is looking for the next 18 months. And so that's the swap you're making there, right? I'm going to just provide a counter because if you said to me that there was a team in the NBA that had John Wall, Boogie Cousins, Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and they just added Victor Oladipo, I would say that team don't sound bad. I'm just curious how that thing's going to work. And I'm I'm curious if the Rockets say, hey, listen, we're going to try to make this thing work. Because we can always get to the trade deadline and have to do a deal. But we're going to hold on to this and see how this looks for the next month. Victor Oladipo has shown that he could be an incredible player when he's healthy. So has John Wall. So <laughs> has Boogie Cousins. Now, listen, you already traded James Harden. You already have said we're going to what if based on the draft picks. Why not keep these guys together, see what happens, and you never know. Pray for rain. These guys stay healthy. That's a very deep roster. (laughs) They got a coach who knows what it takes to kind of take these types of pieces and be successful with them. Because Dallas essentially did that. Dallas was essentially a collection of kind of these spare parts that people didn't really want, but they had a head dude 
Um, I, I think Luke is going to be the best player in the NBA over the next three years. But, I mean, they have right. that. That's the piece that we One. don't know that Houston has. But there's nothing to say that Christian Wood doesn't become that now that Harden's not there. You mentioned Steven Silas, and I think it's worth pointing out or talking about the trade. I don't know if you could find another head coach who in their rookie year as a head coach could have handled the last two months as professionally and as well as Steven Silas did. And so I think it's worth pointing out, like, all signs point up on that as well if you're looking at the future of the Houston Rockets. To have, to show up to a team with two MVPs in your backcourt and here immediately they both went out. And to navigate, <laughs> to navigate it this well has been incredible. Listen, he really might be the favorite for Coach of the Year, the same way that Alex Smith had Comeback Player of the Year locked up as soon as he got on the field. Like, <laughs> basically, he's walked into this situation as handled as well as anyone can possibly handle it. Now imagine if the Rockets make the playoffs. Who are you giving Coach of the Year to other than that dude? I mean, maybe Steve Nash if Brooklyn wins every game left, <laughs> which is entirely possible. <laughs> Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings, our second thesis takes us back to the gridiron after a couple of fun playoff games last night. This thesis looks, however, at a bunch of teams that are not playing anytime <laughs> soon. This thesis reads, the fact that Eric Bieniemy hasn't been linked to a job yet is problematic for the NFL. You hear that and you think? I think there is one team that's still playing that is very linked to this thesis statement. <laughs> um, that being said, this is an F for now. For now. <laughs> for now, it's an F. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, how do you feel about this thesis statement? I'm in the C range, which means we probably agree on about half of the thoughts in my head. So <laughs> okay, Mr. Cummings. Now, Eric Bieniemy is a hot name in coaching talks for like three years now, it feels like. He, he's really been like at the front of every offseason and continues to be. We keep asking this question. He continues to be pushed kind of to the wayside. So you hear that he hasn't been hired yet and that that's a problem for the NFL. And you gave that an F. What was your thought process there? Can I say that as much as you're going to hate this, I'm putting an asterisk on this one because <laughs> <laughs> this this is an F right now. Like literally as we sit right now, it is Sunday. It is just afternoon um, as we record this podcast. It is an F right now. And the reason why it's an F right now is because there are still three vacancies that we don't know who who's going to fill. Now, as we sit here, Arthur Smith 
He's left Tennessee. He's going to go to Atlanta. He was the offensive coordinator. He really uh, turned around Ryan Tannehill. So deserving of an opportunity, he's going to be uh, in Atlanta. Urban Meyer, he's going to get, I, I mean, I'm sure they backed the Brinks truck up to his house. And he gets to live in Jacksonville, if nothing else. It's a very nice place to live. Uh, but he's going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have control of the first pick in the draft, man. That makes a lot of sense, right, to to with a young team who's going to have the first pick in the draft consider a college coach, right? The Jets went with Robert Sala. And for me, that feels like a win. Now, what you have to understand is the Jets hired Adam Gase, who is an offensive guy. Normally, when you have an offensive guy, you come back and you turn to defense. And the Jets traditionally, when they hire new head coaches, they actually traditionally hire defensive guys. Like, they had Rex Ryan and went from Rex Ryan to defensive guy as well. Incidentally, um, you know, anyway, I was going to talk about people deserving <laughs> second chances and all these sorts of things. Anyway, the Jets hire <laughs> Robert. The thesis. Well, the that's thesis. not the thesis. Not the thesis. <laughs> Robert Sala, I think that that's a good hire. I mean, he, the San Francisco's defense was still solid, even yeah. in a year where they aren't very good. So Robert Sala deserves a lot of credit for that. Now, it's not been officially announced that the Los Angeles Chargers are going to hire Brian Dayball. But that's only because Brian Dayball is still coaching with Buffalo, who won last night. And so they can't make the official announcement. But all of the reporting is that Brian Dayball has the Chargers job. And worth right? pointing out, he's coaching very well. Like he's, oh, he's, he's very well. <laughs> Buffalo, I was on them before the season started. They've been incredible. They're in the AFC Championship game. And they play a style that says they could give Kansas City trouble. So we'll see what happens there. That means that Detroit... Houston and Philly are all open. Now, why would Airbnb not getting a job be problematic? It's because of the NFL's history with minority hires. And when you look at Anthony Lynn, who has been fairly successful with the Chargers, in fact, that he lost his job, you could say darn problematic because that feels, that feels not great necessarily. That being said, Robert Sala, first Muslim head coach, he got a gig. Brad Holmes got a gig in Detroit. As a GM, he's a black GM. This is These are the areas where the NFL has had trouble. And they've made some quality hires, in my opinion, based on resume. If you start looking objectively at the folks who are brought in. So if the if it's problematic, because Eric Bieniemy is a black man who hasn't gotten a head coaching job, they've made some hires in, in terms of minorities going into some very high-profile positions that says, okay, give us a little bit of benefit of the doubt and... We still got these three openings. And Eric Bieniemy really should have got a job last year, didn't. Let's see what happens this year, right? Uh, his team is still coaching. So you, there, there may be there may be some some pieces there. That being said, um, if he doesn't get a job, I'm willing to give the NFL the benefit of the doubt right now. So that's why I'm failing this. But literally right now, because I could come back and we could do this thing in two weeks, and I might have a different grade. Now, Mr. Hainsworth, <laughs> you went C. So I'm assuming that you're going to agree with a few of the things I said, but I'm curious as to your perspective. Well, I give it a C because, like you said, it's not over, I guess, is, is my thing. So <laughs> if, if I, as opposed to being negative on the NFL, I guess, like you said, there are, I want to call it three and a half jobs because I guess, like, if Buffalo won the Super Bowl, it, would there be some shot that Dable didn't want to leave whatever? But it sounds like he is going to get the charge gig, right? So that would leave three jobs, one in Detroit, one in Houston, and one in Philly. I guess – you know, we are history teachers, and I look at history and sit here and be like, man, they're going to do this all over again. Um, <laughs> I, I also sit here as a pe person that 
roots for, I guess, both Texas football teams, but Houston sports and knows that like Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston entirely because they didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy. And how as Houston, like you could argue that Deshaun Watson is in a lot of ways like Pat Mahomes light. Like how could you not want to go get that guy, right? Um, now also- Houston did come out this week and requested an interview. Now, yeah. listen, we, we, we get that. But at least this they is, came out and requested for the interview. So maybe, you never know, maybe the enemy still ends up in Houston. Yeah, that strikes me as like when you're, you see your ex-girlfriend about a month later, like, hey, I've changed. I've, I've changed <laughs> what I eat now. Like, yeah, that's not what's happening. So I also look at this too and look at, you know, like, you know, Todd Bowles is on the mark as a head coach. You've got Eric Bieniemy, You've got Leslie Frazier. You've got you know, Byron Leftwich is the OC down in uh, Tampa, right? Like you've got lots of guys. Listen, could- Deuce Stanley in Philly. Might make some right, sense. Exactly. Right. Like you got lots of other guys. And the grander problem that I don't know if we stated or not yet is that like black head coaches do not get hired very often in the NFL and it is an overwhelmingly black sport. And that if a lot of black players are playing and you don't have a lot of black coaches, why aren't why aren't more former players turning into coaches? Like what's the problem there, right? Well, and the, um, the thing that you just mentioned is that black coaches don't get second chances either, right? Because right. Todd Bowles was the guy who got hired after Rex. And I was gonna go into this whole thing about, you know, maybe he deserves a second chance. I decided not to go there, but you mentioned his name. That's a dude who deserves a second chance. He was he did a solid job with the Jets. And to do a solid job with the Jets is very difficult. Leslie Frazier did a solid job with the Vikings. Um, So those are guys who maybe should get a second bite of the apple, especially if Adam Gase can get a second bite of the apple. If Adam Gase can get a second bite of the apple, for sure. We could count, you know, Bill O'Brien is on people's lists again. It's like, how is Bill O'Brien on your list? Anyway, (laughs) I, I guess I get at this and I look at it like, as a history teacher, I can very quickly recall times that these guys have not been hired and think that that is problematic. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that the spots in Philly and Houston and Detroit each get filled to prove me wrong. And that'd be great for the league. We did just see the first Muslim American hired as a head coach for your New York Jets. And that's a, a move that's good for the league, right? I just, I look at this and say like, man, the coaching staffs and the GM staffs, you brought up Detroit, that's great. But the coaching staffs and the GM staffs continue to not look like the product on the field. And that makes me question what's happening. You could argue about, does this mean the rune rules failing, right? You could argue about a lot of different things. I didn't hear about, I guess they interviewed BNME before hiring Meyer, but it was like very instantaneous that all of a sudden, oh, Urban Meyer's available, he's ours. Like, boom, done. And it just, it feels icky in a lot of ways. And I don't know what it, I guess I gave it a C and not an F because you're right, there is time left. But I also know that there was an entire offseason last year. And you watched, <laughs> like, Pat Mahomes was great at Texas Tech, and I don't mean to diminish any of his hard work, but someone is working with him to continue to make him better. Like There is a, a growth in Pat Mahomes, even from year one to two and year two to three and so on, that some coach on that staff has to be responsible for, and it can't just be Andy Reid. That's not how football works. We're both football people. That's not how football works. And the idea that the enemy is not at all getting linked to that, but Andy Reid is, is troublesome to me. Eric Bieniemy literally was interviewed, or at least requests were put in for an interview by every team that had a vacancy now that Houston went ahead and reached out, right? Every team requested. And that means that he got the interview in Atlanta, right? He got the interview in Jacksonville. He got the interview with the Chargers. So if these teams go in a different direction, it could be that those interviews just aren't going well for him, right? And he interviewed for several jobs last year too. And it could be that it's a an interview piece specific to him. Now, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know Eric Bieniemy. I don't know what happens in NFL head coaching interviews. I would assume that there are folks, because listen, we're in education. In independent school education, there are folks you can work with to prepare you for interviews for teaching jobs, for administrative jobs. <laughs> I assume that there's someone doing that for head coaching jobs. I assume that the enemy's working with folks. And if he's going through these interviews and we're still coming out the other end and saying that these other folks are better interviews, then... I, obviously, there's a part of us that has to look specifically at the enemy and see what's going on there. But everything that you said is correct in that, okay, maybe I am a bad interview, but I'm a damn good coach. And it's supposed to matter wins and right. losses. And I got a Super Bowl ring and might have two if dudes don't go offside. And now I can't get a gig, but Arthur Smith can. Who, listen, I started this by saying what he was able to do with Ryan Tannehill is impressive. But Tennessee has no rings. Buffalo, Brian <laughs> Dable, it's impressive what Buffalo has been able to do to turn around. He's got no rings. Urban Meyer, at least you can look at him in college and say that every program he's ever been at has been incredible. But he has no NFL rings. But there's a dude out there who does. So it's, it starts to maybe border in problematic if he doesn't get a hire. But again, I'm F. I'm giving this I'm giving the NFL the benefit of the doubt because I actually believe that Bienemy is going to get one of these gigs. I would actually love to see Bienemy in Philly. Philly from a from the standpoint of him getting to develop a young quarterback whether it's Carson Wentz or whether it's uh, Jalen Hurts. Philly's a train wreck in terms of how they operate, but like that situation feels good to me. I, I it would be great to see a black head coach with a black GM in Detroit as well. So yeah. there's some opportunities out there that seem like they could be good. So we'll see what happens. I'm willing to give the NFL the benefit of the doubt because there's still some good openings left. Obviously, I'm super biased. I thought it would have been cool before he, I guess Houston did eventually reach out, but to have Biennemi and Watson in Houston at the same time as you had Baker, at the same time as you had uh, Silas across the board. We just talked about Silas in the last thesis, like having black head coaches across the board. Cause you know, the three major sports in America are very black. And so to have that representation in the head coaching spots, all three spots across the city of Houston would have been a very, very unique move for the city. Um, I guess it's not over yet, but it, it sounded like it was there for a second. No, H town stand up. Let's <laughs> it's about to get real dark in Houston. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mr. Ainsworth final thesis statement for this podcast. And I know that's one that you're excited about. <laughs> uh, so the thesis statement reads that major American sports should find a way to get at least one game on Nickelodeon each season. Now, I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade that thesis statement? Oh, that's an A. Like, I, like, I don't even I didn't even think about this. That's an easy A for me. I loved the broadcast last weekend. What do you think? Uh, I'm an A as well. And let me just say that if you did not go A, that would have been the upset of the century. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that no one is surprised that two middle school teachers believe that more games should be on Nickelodeon. That being said, <laughs> the thesis statement reads, major American sports should find a way to get at least one game on Nickelodeon each season. We both gave that an A. Mr. Ainsworth, why don't you tell all the people why this absolutely is the case? So I watched only that broad, the Nickelodeon broadcast, the Bears Saints game last weekend. Uh, I thought, Which also tells you that we're middle school teachers. The fact that you only <laughs> watch that broadcast. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I watched other games, but for that game, that's the only broadcast I watched, right? And so I, first of all, Shout out to Nate Burleson for being excellent and professional. There were lots of 
for a football broadcaster, <laughs> elementary questions, no pun intended. A lot of elementary questions for him that he handled like a like a pro. It was very well done. Uh, I also he was struck- the one who almost didn't manage the f bomb. Like he was the one who right. almost broke. <laughs> Um, because, because in a normal broadcast, that kind of just would have been. <laughs> he was like, uh, 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 and then the, <laughs> the, uh, your play by play guy just moved right on by like a pro <laughs> completely. I also approached this as, so every kid had like their cartoon channel. Some people were Disney people. Some people were Cartoon Network people. We were a big Nickelodeon family when I was a kid. I watched <laughs> Doug, Rugrats, Rocco's Modern Life, Hey Arnold, uh, you know, Rocket Power, Fairly odd parents. My brother was a bigger SpongeBob guy than I, but we watched plenty of SpongeBob. <laughs> so we watched plenty of these shows. And so the idea that Nickelodeon would be tying sports into my childhood is interesting. I guess what I really get at, though, is that it's this interesting way to, on a bigger picture, we'll talk numbers in a second, but it's an interesting way to tie professional sports and mainstream sports and so on into this younger audience. So if I am a adam silver or if i'm a goodell or if i'm someone in charge of these pro sports i'm trying to do this to expand my audience to i don't want to say an untapped market but certainly not a you know market that you've made the most out of and so how can you get in like kids are buying sports cards we could do a whole podcast someday if you want to about how sports cards have grown as an industry but how can you get these sports that you are providing into the hands of kids in a kid-friendly way where it's not just like x's and o's talk from tony romo like that's fun but if you're eight that might not be as interesting <laughs> right and so how, if slime in the end zone does it then that's what does it so i thought it was it fascinating I think it's a big win for Nickelodeon, for football, for the kids. I thought it was a big win all the way around. I'd be interested to see how it plays out in other sports, too. Uh, You also gave it an A, though, so I'm not the only one that's a kid at heart. What are you thinking? No, absolutely. Incidentally, you know what else, like from a coach that I appreciated, that Nickelodeon was the only broadcast that had all 22. Like, they actually had the all-22 view of the game. I don't know why everyone doesn't just have that view. Like, that's how I want to watch. Anyway, that's a coach in me. That being said... Um, let's can we talk dollars and cents for a little bit? Completely. The NFL has been down in terms of ratings the entirety of the season. Now we can get into the nuances of that because we know that streaming services and the way that those ratings are calculated are different, and how the proliferation of sports bars, these sorts of things during COVID time. I don't know that that's as much of an issue, but all of these pieces kind of play into ratings maybe not being where they used to be. And the reality is, ratings are down. In sports, the national championship game for college football, the ratings were a record low. The wild card ratings were down. The Heisman ratings were down. The NFL regular season ratings were down 7%, according to SportsMediaWatch.com. And Nickelodeon had the highest rated show in their history, and it was this (laughs) wild card game. So there seems to be something there just from the dollars and cents perspective to say, hey, Major leagues, you guys got to be looking at this, and especially because you're hitting a, a demographic that we know is incredibly important, right? We we get it. It's the 18 to 35 male demographic. That's the one you want, right? I imagine that the one that you're after next are kids because the kids get the parents to spend the money, man. Completely. So if you can get kids locked in, hooked in, and then you know you got them all the way through that demographic from 12 to 18 and then the 18 to 35, you got them locked up, man. Yeah, exactly. If if you can get a kid to start watching football every Sunday, even if it's just because you do it once a month or once a year, when they're eight years old, 
that's not going away when they're 18. No, if anything else, it becomes tradition and nostalgic, and now they continue to do it because it uh, invokes in them all these good feelings from back when they were a kid. And, I mean, let's even do a deeper dive into this. If you're the NFL... You can look at football across the country and you see the participation is down. You want to get participation up? Let the kids watch. When the kids watch, maybe they want to play. And now maybe you get participation up in terms of football across the country because you need players, right? You got to have guys to go out there and put the helmet on and go play. And so obviously whatever it takes to get interest, Major League Baseball, hockey, these are sports that they've consistently seen ratings at a national level go down. Now, with hockey, it's a weird deal because they don't have a great national TV contract. Okay, well, if you're not going to have a great national TV contract anyway, what do you have to lose? Why not put your New Year's outdoor game on Nickelodeon as well? You know what I mean? Just go ahead. One game a year for baseball could be the difference between some kid deciding he's going to pick up a bat and some kid just ignoring baseball and saying that it's boring. And with baseball, they have uh, these regional contracts. There's nothing to say that a team couldn't just reach out to Nickelodeon and do this to, to test it, just to see. You know, why? What, what do the Tampa Bay Rays have to lose by testing one game in their local market on Nickelodeon and seeing how it goes? You know what I mean? So I honestly believe that there's a, some dollars and cents pieces as to why you want to get involved with Nickelodeon based on the response man social media blew up and maybe what we would say is the more of these you have it's not as popular on social media I don't know I'm willing to try what well let's find right. out let's find out if Mike Golick is going to keep tweeting so about this stuff <laughs> there's a there's a couple elements to it too right so you pointed out one it you know the NFL specifically should in, be involved in getting kids playing football's in this weird place where you know, there are peewee football leagues, but the majority of America plays tackle football for the first time around 13 or 14 years old. Other sports have grown to where kids are playing them year-round at more like seven and eight years old, right? There's year-round soccer, there's year-round baseball, there's year-round basketball. And that, if football wants to get, I wouldn't advise necessarily like promoting year-round tackle football from a health perspective. <laughs> I would recommend though getting kids interested in football at younger ages however possible because if the eight-year-old is interested like you're saying yeah they might not put on a helmet till they're 13 but they definitely would be intrigued in the sport because they saw it played and then you keep we talked both of us talked i shouldn't say you keep we both talked about the 18 to 35 male demographic and how this could tie in viewers that will then start watching when they're or continue to watch when they're 18. there's an entire 52 percent of the population that is not male that is watching Nickelodeon at eight years old, right? Like Nickelodeon <laughs> is not just male centric. And so that's a way to tie your sports into an entire half of the population that the NFL has said they want to try and bring in female viewers, right? The NBA is trying to promote the WABA, this crossover dynamic and bring in women as well. It's not unheard of to, for sports to try and reach out to demographic by the time they're 18 or by the time they're 25 or whatever. But the truth is, if you can hook them at eight, why <laughs> you don't have to worry about it? The same trend would apply, right? If Nickelodeon is really this all-encompassing atmosphere, or Cartoon Network, or Disney, or whoever, right? If you have a contract with ABC, you can get a contract with Disney. Like it's not that's going to work fine. And so, if you're going to have it on the same, you know, Disney network for the eight-year-old boy and girl, there's no reason that the female, the girl, or whomever doesn't also take on that same 
routine, that same ritual, and pick up a team that they liked just because it was on Disney Channel when they were eight years old and follow it all the way through. It could be the exact same case. No, absolutely. And what we know about households, at least in my household, women control a lot of the purse strings in a lot of these households. <laughs> so frankly, if you're starting to think about tickets, memorabilia, all that stuff, man, it's, it's a good idea to make sure that you have women who love the sport as well. What we saw with Vanderbilt this year is that there are women out there who are looking for a way to latch into football in a way that is relatable to them. And if you can obviously hook young girls, then they found the thing that hooks them and latches them into the sport, right? Promoting all the women coaches who are getting involved. All of these pieces allow you to reach a demographic that you, it was not easy to reach before. Nickelodeon provides that door for the NFL. Um, incidentally, Mr. Ainsworth, you mentioned all the Nickelodeon shows that you watched when you were a kid. And I'm like, man, that's how I know we're different. Because, like, I watched, <laughs> I watched, like, Maya the Bee and David the Gnome and, like, Muppet Babies. And I'm like, he doesn't even know any of these shows. That's how I know I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> do you, Mr. Ainsworth, do you remember a show called Guts? Uh, vaguely. I would have been young, but I do feel like I remember Guts, actually. I, yeah. I love Nickelodeon games. I love Double Dare. I love Nick Arcade. Do, 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 do. You have it. Guts. Like, no. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. I'm old. <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth and I, we were waxing poetically about our favorite Nickelodeon shows <laughs> off pod. And so then we started mentioning, like, I, I realized that, like, you probably weren't even born when you can't do that on television was actually on Nickelodeon. That's where the slime originally even came from. And then we started talking about all that. And it was like, okay, you did know all that. And that made me very happy. <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, why don't you tell all the folks, our socials, so they can talk to you about Keenan and Kel. <laughs> good burger welcome to the good uh you can find me on painsworth 512 on twitter and uh, twitter and instagram that's p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h 512 all one word twitter and instagram we also have a show twitter page that's at fn sports 2 that's f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s-2 i'll respond with dash p-a shaka uses dash c-c so you know which one of us you're talking to but that's a good way to reach us too and shaka we also have an instagram Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That is my Twitter. That is my Insta. I am now thinking like Kenan Thompson is someone who people just know now because of Saturday Night Live. But he, that, yeah, guys, he started on Nickelodeon. Incidentally, <laughs> Kel Mitchell, what happened to him? Friends, thank you for uh, listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to have on the podcast. Tell us what happened to Kel Mitchell. Someone reach out to us on social media. <laughs> and please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Sorry, <laughs> Kel. <laughs>
Real growers use True North Equipment, the premier provider of John Deere products and services. Schedule your post-harvest equipment inspection today so your equipment is prepared for go time. True North Equipment is offering no payments, no interest financing on inspections, parts, and services until November 2023. Minimum $200 purchase for inspections of tractors, combines, seating, hay, and windrowers, and spraying. Schedule today on the My True North customer portal at truenorthequipment.com.